0: welcome to the access church podcast grab out your note sheet and let's jump right into today's sermon uh if you have your app uh there's a bible on there if you bring a bible we're going to be we're going through the book of john so you can open it up to john 2 just so you guys know if you're in connection groups you're in home groups this week we're going to be doing something different you're going to get an email uh, from me as you do every week. We're going to be doing uh, kind of more of a eating around a table talking. And this week we're going to focus on kind of looking back on our lives and what God has done in our lives. And so uh, it's not really a sermon discussion. It's more going to be a personal sharing. That'll all be in the email. So if you're in a connection group, just pay attention to that. And this week will be a little bit uh, different when it comes to our home groups and as always if you're looking to be part of a home group talking people praying with people um discussing the bible those kind of things no matter where you're at in your faith there's room for anyone and so you can sign up you can let myself know laura lee's running around here somewhere you can let her know there she is in the back there so you can talk to one of us we'll get you signed up for a connection group or you can go online before we get started here jose uh one of our elders and uh and also Just know that this guy does a lot of work behind the scenes, keeping, making sure that our books are running well. We know where every dollar is going. We want to be responsible with everything that you give. And Jose's really spearheads that. So he puts a lot of time in when you're sleeping. He's not doing stuff for the church. So let's give him a round uh, of applause for that. And thank you for serving our church in that way. He's also one of our elders. So he helps with guiding the church, praying for our church. And so uh, he's just going to kick us off uh, this morning and then kind of pray for the rest of our service. So Jose, all of you, come on. All right, uh, Father, it's super awesome, Lord, that that we can be here today enjoying this good weather, Father. It's, it's awesome knowing, Father, that, that we are known by you, Father, that you invite us in, into your presence, that you invite us into your home, into your party, Father. Um, we thank you, God, and I pray, Lord, that as we go throughout the service, Father, we just remember, Lord, just everything that you've done for us as we witness the baptisms, Father, that we can celebrate along with those people that are being baptized, Father. Um, we thank, Father, um, for everything that you do for us, Lord, and just pray for the rest of this service and that we can enjoy community, enjoy each other's company, Father. We thank you, God, in the name of your son. Amen. Awesome. One of my favorite quotes is this, um, where we end is where God begins. Kind of a weird quote. Where we end is where God begins. When we're at the end of our ropes is usually where we then grab onto the hand of God. The problem is many of us feel safer on the rope than in the hand of God. So we never experience the miracles of God, the strength of God, the power of God, the love of God. And what I'm gonna be encouraging you today is that sometimes we hold on that rope too long or we try to climb a rope in our own strength and God's like, my hand will lift you higher than you can climb a rope. John chapter two, we, we see this. We see this kind of faith. It's the you got it faith. The you got it faith is God, you got it. See, we have faith in God, but we're kind of like, well, I got most of it and you got some of it. And that's our faith. And we wonder why it's hard to worship God. Why is it hard to get into the Bible? Why is it hard to go to church? Why is it hard to invest my life? Because we haven't experienced God. We haven't seen God. All we know is that it's mainly me and maybe a little bit of him. But God wants to invite you to let go of the rope and hold on to his hand. That's a step of faith. John chapter 2, we've been going through this book. The the series is called Up Close and Personal with Jesus. Our desire is not for you to read the Bible and get smart. Our desire for you over the next few months is that you would actually get this up close and personal view that, that God is worth it. And that you actually know him, not what you think you know about him, but you actually know him, that God can speak for God. He can reveal to you. And I believe that if you have an encounter with Jesus, that you truly know not what your teacher said, not even what your parents said, not even what you thought up, what you saw on TV, but you open up the diary. He wrote a diary, he wrote a journal so you don't have to wonder. There's no mystery. You don't have to make up who you think God is. We're jumping into that diary and he's sharing everything. John was one of Jesus' best friends. According to John, that's what he said. I'm sure all the other disciples thought they were Jesus' best friend, but John's like, "I'm the loved one." And his best friend is like, "Listen, if I know if he's God or not, it's going to be me. Like a best friend knows, even if you that have a best friend, you know if it's like, bro, you're not the Messiah. I know you dude. We went drinking last week, or I saw you in the car, I saw you drive, right? Or I see how you do life. I saw, you know if they're like the Son of God, or if it's like, dude, you're a liar. And his best friend is like, bro you're legit. And he wrote a book and he said in it that the reason I want it is because I believe and I want others to believe and to know that you can have eternal life. That's why this book is written. So we talked about John one, we went through, took a few weeks to go through John chapter one, and we're just going kind of verse by verse, chapter by chapter. John two, Jesus has began his recruiting He didn't want to do it on on his own, which tells you a lot about God. Even though he could do everything on his own, he gathers us with him. God wants to do life with you even though he doesn't need you. But here's the cool thing is he wants you. How cool is it that God wants you, doesn't need you? That's the best, right? Any relationship where they need you, well, you need me. You have to, the best relationships are where they want you. And so Jesus is recruiting, showing that, hey, I want to do life with you. But now he's going to really reveal even more about himself in John chapter two. Here we go. It says on the third day. Now let's stop there. On the third day of what? Well, basically on the third day of Jesus beginning his ministry, day one and two was him introducing himself to some new disciples saying, come and follow me. Now they know a little bit about him. They've spent a couple days. He shared his heart, but it's still like, well, you you're all talk. Can you walk the talk if you say you're the Messiah? Well, he's going to walk it today. So we're on the third day of them hanging out with Jesus. And here's what goes down. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. That's the northern part of Israel. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, big deal, just so you know. In this culture, by the way, we think we know how to do weddings. Some of you are planning weddings right now, right? Right? And your wedding's gonna go like four or five hours. And you're like, oh, that's a bomb. Like, we know how to party. Nope, Jewish people would say, you don't know how to party. You Gentiles, you are weak, right? Right, you have a glass of wine. You think you're partying it up. They go seven days. I know some of you like right now, you're like, I wanna be Jewish so bad. I know, they're my people, I am, all right? You want to be like me. Seven days, they party. Somewhere in these seven days, it's a big no-no, by the way. A big no-no to run out of wine. In this culture, you don't run out of wine. For our culture, our culture, it'd be like running out of food, right? We'd be like, we're out of here. This wedding sucks. Peace out. Good luck to you guys. We're out, right? When the food runs out, everybody leaves, right? Same thing with the wine. Big no-no. So it says that when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine, just like a mom would. Hey, Jesus, Right? you came out of my womb, right? I had to go through pain for you. There's no wine. And what she was saying is you better do something special because I know you're the Messiah. Which is really interesting. By the way, this is going to be his first miracle. You would think the first miracle, of the son of God, like if you're, if you're the king of kings and the Lord of Lords, like your first miracle is going to be, it's got to be like a resurrection, right? It's got to be something dies. And you're like live. And the thing comes up and I was like, oh my God, you're the son of God. His first miracle has to do with alcohol. If that doesn't help you follow Jesus, I don't know what will. Man, my love for God has just grown. Mary goes to the son of God saying, we're out of alcohol. Can you get us more? Here's Jesus' response. kind of weird. He says, woman, I don't encourage any of you to call your mom woman, by the way. So don't underline that and be like, oh, the sermon today is I can call my mom woman. Why did Jesus address his mom as woman? He says, woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. That's a statement that if you read a lot of the Bible, you'll notice there's a pattern there. By the way, he says woman because he's transitioning from a ministry where he's actually under his mom. Remember, for 30 years, Jesus was trained at home. Dad, we think, has passed away because he's no longer in the story. Jesus becomes, in a sense, the man of the house, but he's still under the authority of his mom. Now he's doing ministry and he's under the authority of the father. Remember that Jesus says, when they said, hey, your family's outside. And he goes, well, who is my family? Who's my mom? Who's my brother and sister? He changes everything saying, yeah, family's important, but not when you become a Christian, the family of God, the blood of Jesus runs thicker than the blood in our family. And for some of us, we can't imagine that. For some of us, we're offended by that. But Jesus says, that is the reality, whether you like it or not, of you're part of a new family, a greater family, and God is now my parent. And so Jesus is signifying that, Mom, I love you, but now I listen to only what the Father. He's moving into an area of ministry now. And so he says, woman, not to disrespect her but it's profound why he says it. He says, why do you involve me? My hour is not yet come. Now he says that my hour is not yet come multiple times. John chapter seven, John chapter eight, John chapter 12, John chapter 13. And every time he says that, it's my hour has not yet come. It's about dying on the cross. My time has not yet come. It's coming, but not yet. The father's going to reveal it and it hasn't happened yet. And why would Jesus say that? Well, it has to do with this miracle that he's about to do. He's, he's illustrating, he's foreshadowing something here. So, verse five, he says this, why do you invite me? My hour is not yet come. Look at the faith of his mom. His mother said to the servants, she didn't even talk to Jesus. So he says, woman, my hour is not yet come. And she just stares at him and then looks at the servants, like whatever, looks at the servants and says, do whatever he tells you. In her mind, you're going to do something. I don't know what, but we're out of wine and you're Jesus and we need you. <laughs> this party's going to stop. The person hosting it, which it might've been her. I don't know who's getting married. They're going to truly be embarrassed. Is a big cultural no-no. And so it goes into verse six. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Ceremonial washing, just so you know, for us, we're like, you know, what are they just cleaning their hands? Those jars were significant because for years, there was that sense of that... We are unclean when you come before God. And so God had these laws in the Old Testament where you clean yourself on the outside, but it represented how actually you're dirty on the inside. Well, what people did is they changed that into this religion of, if I wash my hands, that makes me clean before God, not realizing, no, God wants you to wash your heart. The hands just kind of symbolize that. And so these, these jugs were a symbol of clean and unclean. And why this is significant is because this water is going to turn to wine. And what's significant, the Bible would say is it's the blood of Jesus that cleanses your heart and forgives your sin. The water turned to wine. The blood of Jesus is significant. Wine is attached to the blood. So there's meaning there. So during the ceremony, Jesus is actually thinking about the cross, realizing these people don't understand the significance of this what's interesting about this though is that mary's faith is so practical do you see how she invites jesus into everyday life she invites jesus into the mundane parts of life she's not looking just for the big miracle she invites jesus into every part of her life that when she's at the end of her rope she quickly grabs onto his hand And you notice how Jesus participates in that. It makes no sense for the son of God to turn water to wine. It seems like there's bigger issues. Have you ever felt that way? Praying to God, there's gotta be bigger issues that I'm bringing to him. Maybe some of us are like, I'm not even gonna pray to God because these are insignificant. Like there's wars going on. There's major things happening. God probably cares about that, but not my puny little life here in Temeca and Murrieta and complaining about this or complaining about that. And what happens is you miss out on a part of God of, nope, he actually likes that. That God likes the mundane and that he wants to intervene in in the mundane. You see, she could have stressed out, not looked at Jesus and tried to figure it out. She could have paid it out of her own pocket. How do we make more? She could have been running around and just begin to get angry and stressed. And I don't know if you've ever been there in life where you look at life and you feel like it's all on your shoulders and you begin to get stressed and then the anger. And then all of a sudden it, it, it affects relationships and the way you're talking to people. And that's because we're holding onto the rope and not God's hands. God, you got it. You got it. My finances, you got it. My kids, you got them. My grandkids, you got them. This marriage, you got them. My loneliness, you got it. My sin, you got it. See, some of us live life cleaning the outsides, washing our hands, thinking we're religious. And you got us fooled. You look good. I look at you, I'm like, oh, yeah, you look pretty spiritual. Yeah, you look pretty godly. The problem is that I don't judge you on judgment day. I have no relevance in your life. And Jesus says, I look at the heart, not the outside. I don't care how you dress. I don't care how you look. I'm looking at the heart and only the blood of Jesus cleanses the heart. Jesus is not into playing religion and looking good to others because there's only one that matters. But I love how Mary is so practical with her faith. She brings them into this everyday stress of life. Now here's why this is powerful. You got to remember the disciples have known Jesus for two days and they're watching like, what is going on? They're thinking they're following the Messiah. And at this point they're thinking we're following the person that's going to free us from Rome. They thought that the son of God came to free the Jewish nation from Rome. Who's being oppressed right now. They look at him as a King. They're looking for massive miracles for major things. And we're talking about water and wine. What is this? Is this a joke? So the disciples are watching And then Jesus says this in verse 7, Jesus said to the servants, all right, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw out and take to the master, take some to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tested the water that had been turned into wine. And he did not realize where it had come from. And though the servants who had drawn the water, they knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, "Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink." A little inside there, there, if any of you are planning a wedding, that's how they did it, right? They had the best ones when people got little tips. They didn't know what they were drinking, bringing the cheap so we could save a little bit of money. Again, it's my Jewish people. It's how we do it. So they're saving a little bit of money, but they get this wine like, whoa, it's better. When Jesus does a miracle in your life, when you're at the end of your rope. He says, hold on to my hand because I make it better. I've got wine for you. I've got stuff for you to drink that you can't even imagine. Let go of the rope. I got it. It's a I. It's a he's got it faith. It's a he's got it faith. In fact, when you know that, you actually let go of the rope even earlier. Let go of that rope early because many of us, we don't let go of the rope until things are bad, until we've ruined the marriage, until we've ruined the job, until we've ruined the finances. You see, We make God the last option. He's like, you can do that. I'm humble enough to be the last option, but I got a life for you where if I'm the first option, you don't have to go through all that tragedy. Mary, you don't have to run around all stressed and worrying and getting angry that you don't have the wine that you want and feeling embarrassment. And how are people going to judge you? And this is going horrible and people are going to leave. You don't have to have that stress. We add on the stress by holding on the rope saying, no, my faith is I got it until I'm desperate. Then you got it. And God's like, you can do it that way. Or you can taste and see, as the scriptures say, that the Lord is good. Let go, really. Give your life to me. Give every part of your life. Give the mundane parts. Give the little things. Give the way you speak, your language, the way you think, the way you prioritize, what you rejoice over. Give those to Jesus. Watch him change your heart. He's got something better for you. So they were stoked. They got the best wine. He goes, everyone brings out the the wine first and the cheaper one after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. Verse 11, check this out. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed him. Miracles, just so you know, because some of us, we've grown up in different kinds of churches, and and we wonder, like, why are these miracles done? And for some of us, we think, well, if Jesus did the miracles, then we're going to do the same miracles. And that's not really—Jesus came, and his miracles were to validate himself— that he was the Messiah. All these miracles also fulfilled prophecy from the Old Testament. But here's what's important is that the miracles are not what God wanted people to chase. It was him. And what happens in our lives, what happens we get caught up in being miracle chasers, not Jesus followers. These miracles are not to be in awe of the miracles. They're just to validate that he is the son of God. In fact, Jesus would later on say when he was gonna heal someone, And he was going to forgive the guy's sins. You know what they got mad about? They got mad about him wanting to heal. And he goes, that's not the big deal. (laughs) Healing, that's nothing for me. You should be blown away that I actually forgive your sins. That's the greatest miracle. The greatest miracle God can do is not heal your physical ailment. Because you know why? If he does, you're still going to die. It's a short-term fix. He's a long-term God. He's like, the greatest miracle is for you, a stubborn, arrogant, prideful human being, and that's what we are, for you to humble yourself saying, I need God. I need God to do marriage, I need God to do life, I need God for my language, I need God for my anger, I need God, I need God to in everything, I need God, and I need God for eternal life. Because my morality, that's not gonna make it. Well, Brian, I'm better than a murderer. Well, congratulations, that gets you into heaven, right? But here's the other thing. What a horrible statement, by the way. I was actually in a Bible study where someone's like, at least I've not murdered someone. And you know what hurt my heart is? We had a guy that had been in prison. What do you think that makes him feel like? Well, at least I'm in. It's like, so you're saying this guy's not? And the problem with that statement is what you don't realize is, no, the murders actually will be in there and the rapists. And the most vile of sins, if they realize that just like all of us, they are a sinner in need of a savior before a holy God. And sometimes the person in prison gets it more than the person out of prison. And they're actually more free in prison than we are out of prison. That has nothing to do with the passage. That's a freebie. Because it's true. And this is why Jesus says, don't chase the miracles. Don't be a miracle chaser. You're chasing the wrong thing. Be a Jesus follower. And there's a difference between demanding a miracle from God to prove that he's God and demanding a miracle from God because he is God. You see, Mary... Desired a miracle from God because she knew him and she entrusted herself to him. Some of us are like, well, God, if you don't follow through on this, then I don't believe you're good. Or I don't believe you're real. I've had people say as far as like, why don't you follow God? Well, he let one of my kids die. So it's based off his miracles. If he doesn't have miracles, then you're real and you're good. But if he doesn't follow through, it's like, wow. And that's why Jesus said in Matthew, he says, wicked is the generation that demands a sign to prove that I'm the son of God. Not that we don't want miracles, but we're not miracle chasers. We're Jesus followers. And when you follow Jesus, the miracles just come. Why? Because you desire the supernatural to be part of the natural life. You desire for him that when I'm lonely, saying, God, I can't find the right friends. I can't find the right spouse. I can't find a godly husband. I can't find a godly wife. That instead of just being desperate at some point and saying, you know what? I'm just going to settle. No, I'm holding on to the hand of God, not the rope of life. Because the miracle will come. Even when I don't see them there. Or the greatest miracle I remember there was a woman when I was a youth pastor, the greatest miracle was she was holding on to the hand of God, waiting for that miracle of a man. And she goes, what God realized it, uh, showed me is the greatest miracles for me to be single. She was our best youth leader for over 10 years that I was there. Why? She didn't have the distraction of a spouse. <laughs> and what she didn't realize, what she despised for several years, she realized was the greatest blessing. That woman in a decade brought so many young women to Christ, discipled so many. And those are her children, and their children are her children. So sometimes the miracle is something we're not even looking for until God opens our eyes. Matthew chapter 12, Jesus reminds us of this as far as when it comes to these kind of miracles. He said, some of the the Pharisees and the teachers of the law said to him, teacher, we want a sign from you he says, a wicked and adulterous generation ask for a sign, but none will be given except the sign of Jonah. Look at, he's pointing to something. He says, as for Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the son of man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For Nineveh repented when Jonah preached, but now something greater than Jonah is here. I know he's going to say something weird here, but just bear with me. The queen of the South will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And now something greater than Solomon is here. And this is what God is saying. Any miracle I do in your life is never the greatest miracle. The greatest miracle is when you recognize the death and resurrection of Jesus. All the other miracles point us to Jesus as far as the greatest miracle is to follow him, to entrust our lives to him. So when it comes to water and wine, cause someone's like, what a lame miracle. Like if you're the son of God, like that's kind of a lame opening show. Like you should do something better. No, it's actually a beautiful opening show. Cause what he's showing is the old way of washing your hands and looking religious. That's out the door. It doesn't work anymore. God wants to wash your hearts. And when he turned the water to wine, it reminded him that it's going to be his blood. That's going to be shed that that red wine is going to come out from his body. But that red wine is going to truly, truly save us and cleanse our hearts so for him the wedding had deeper meaning but also what we see here is the faith of a mom the faith of someone that says you got it when i don't and let go of that rope early this story is also about the journey of mary who entrusted her life to jesus as we wrap up today as we think about this it's significant so we have a we have a wonderful baptismal here a super expensive horse trough that we got For the people getting baptized by the way it's unused it's clean so don't worry about it all right we have not at least yet had animals use it but what this signifies is that water just like the water in those jugs does not purify the people getting baptized you getting baptized does not make you spiritual it does nothing that's that's myriad of water unfiltered does nothing it's not spiritual What's spiritual is the commitment that's already been made the heart of each person getting baptized, that I'm dying to myself, I'm rising up anew. And that is the greatest miracle. The greatest miracle you will see in your life is someone going under the water and rising again. And if you don't value that, you'll never value the other miracles that God does. And if you chase miracles, you miss a savior. Follow Jesus. The miracles will come. Don't chase the miracles. And that's why we worship. That's why we worship when we don't have the miracles when we don't see the bank account go up, when we don't see the health improve, when we don't see the restoration of families. How can you worship God when the miracles aren't happening? Well, because it's coming in his time. I'll wait on him, but here's the thing. I don't need the miracle. I have the Savior, and that's my greatest joy because whatever he does here pales in comparison what he's going to do forever. So just know today is the water to wine. Today is that it's not about that. It's about their hearts being cleansed. And that's why we clap. That's why we celebrate. Are you seeing up close and personal now while we're going through John? Are you seeing the heart of Jesus? Are you seeing what it means to be a disciple, to follow him? He wants you to press in. He doesn't want you to be at the end of your rope saying, I got no options. When his hand's been there the whole time saying, just hold my hand. If any of you are here today and you're not holding the hand of God, I just want to be honest, that's all we care about. Honestly, that's all I care about. I don't care about if the sound system works, doesn't work, if the cough's good, not good, if this works out, if that's smooth. I don't give a rip. I care about your eternal life. And here's the thing. I don't know how good life's going to be, bad life's going to be, but I know that there's joy and there's hope if you are holding on to the hands of Jesus. And I want you to know this, that you're here not because of your own volition. It's Jesus that draws you in. You're not here just to, well, I'm here to support somebody. Well, I'm just here because, uh, you know, nothing else to do or football got moved. And so I'm hanging out with you guys, you know, or just, no, no, God's already doing something. Well, how don't know God's doing something because you're here. If you want to give your life to Jesus, you might, you're like, ah, uh, do what Jesus told the disciples, hang out with me. I'm not asking you to commit today. Hang out. I think God is so good. He's going to woo you. I think for some of you, he's going to hit you over the head with a two by four. You're going to wake up being like, that was the best thing I ever had. So here's the thing. Some of you today, you might want to make a commitment. Go for it. You might want to get baptized. Jump in. In fact, I think we added a fourth one. We got another, we have a young kid. We went from three to four. We have someone else getting baptized today. That was a horrible clap. Come on now. (laughs) Hang out with us. Jesus says, Follow me. If you do it long enough, you'll see and you'll trust me. We're going to take some time now. I just want you to reflect because sometimes when I speak, it's fast and it's like drinking from a fire hose. So I can tell you guys are like, dude, you just kind of just like all over me. Right? So I'm just going to let you think because here's the thing. I want God to speak to you, not me. So we're going to sing. You might want to sing. You might want to reflect. You might, hey, we have communion over there. I just want to encourage you, please honor God. That's really special to him. Jesus says, only take communion if my blood has purified your heart. I'm not saying that you you have no sin. What I'm saying is you recognize you are a sinner, but you have a Savior. You're holding on the hand of God. If some of you today are like, I want to make that commitment, but how do I know? Like, do I get the chills? Do I cry? Do I do all kinds of crazy things? Like, how do I know if I'm following Jesus? He says it's a decision. So if you're today making a decision to follow Jesus, you go take communion. Oh, Brian, I'm not worthy, though. I'm horrible. Yeah, I know. That's why he died on the cross. If we were pretty good people, he wouldn't have died on the cross. He would have been like, you know, I'll just, you're good. But he had to go to the cross because we're pretty bad. So you're like, I don't deserve it. Yeah, welcome. We all don't deserve it. That's why we have it. And that's what causes us to worship. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. For more information or to get in contact with our pastoral staff, please go to gotoaccesschurch.com.